My name is David J. Harris, Jr. Join me and millions of Americans around the country as we embrace liberty and freedom. This is the David J. Harris, Jr. Show. Ladies and gentlemen, family and friends from around the country and literally around the world, this is another episode with your host, David J. Harris, Jr. And today I have the pleasure and privilege of having a new friend, a gentleman that I met just a couple months ago. We were speaking at, at an event together, and when I heard what he had to share, how he was breaking down Black Lives Matter, the organization, and even more nefariously, I believe, what, is, what it's doing into our churches and into the minds and hearts of believers, good, well-meaning Americans and believers, I said, I've got to have you on my show. I, I absolutely uh, loved what he had to share. So without any further ado, my good friend, David Englehart. David, my brother, so hey, glad hey, to have hey. you on with me today, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's great to be on, David. Uh, what a pleasure and just awesome just getting to know you the last couple of months, too. So good to be here. Yeah, it's been a pleasure getting to know you as well. We spoke at two events together now, had some fun in Miami the last uh, day we were there. Yeah. But you just really share and embody, I think, a courageous, what it means to be a courageous, patriotic believer. And I think that now more than ever, that's exactly what we need yeah. in this country. Yeah. You know, Romans, uh, Romans 12, Paul is encouraging the church to live at peace. And there's this there's this prephrase to to qualify it. And, and peace is important. It's a fruit of the spirit. It's great. But he says, as much as it's possible for you, live at peace with all men. And there are days where that, that come upon us that it's just not possible to be at peace. And especially when we see the encroachment of really uh, dangerous, really uh, acidic belief that begins to corrode the body of Christ in a theological way and not just in, a, in an ideological way, but literally when relationships are breaking down, there's animosity that has never been. We need people to stand up and say, this is a political idea that's coming to the church. And for some reason, you know, the church, we haven't been allowed to talk about political things for the last 10 years or so. We can talk about football teams. We can we can literally talk about everything else but politics. And I don't know who started that trend, but it's been really damaging to the body of Christ. Yes, it has been. And uh, I forgot to mention in the beginning, you are a pastor of King's Church in New York City, but you are an attorney. You're a lawyer. You are a lawyer first. You passed the bar. You started your practice. You shared with me some of the amazing things that God did to help make sure, help you uh, know that you were on the right track. And then he told you to start a church in New York City. Yeah. Share with us what that was like. Yeah, so so a little bit of backstory is I was on staff for about ten years at a couple of churches in 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 the Northwest. I had under I had got a philosophy undergrad, planning to go to law school, and then I ended up in law school about ten years ago. And then our move to New York City was we want to be engaged in in culture and in business and those things that you're also engaged in, but we also have a heart to be in ministry still. We don't think there should be, you know, this, you're only allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do this. And so we've lived yeah. this both lifestyle. And it's actually why our church is called King's church, not the big King. God is the King, but this little King revelation chapter one says that we're called to be Kings and priests. And so for so long, we've seen the church as just a place for, you know, genuflection and repentance. But there's a place where we say, I'm called to engage politics. I'm called, yes. uh, called to engage culture, to engage business, or else how can I stand for righteousness for not just me, but for my children and my children's children? And so that's our theme 
you know, I don't know if it's accidentally, but it certainly are walking in that fully right now, that battling on a lot, a lot of different levels. Now, being in, in New York City, you've had to have witnessed some some pretty a lot of craziness, a lot of chaos. What's it been like in New York City over these last six months since all these riots and, you know, the 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 mayor de Blasio is wanting to defund police, did defund, I think, a billion dollars out of the, the police department's budget. We've all seen the videos of the chaos and the, the rioters and the looting. What's it like to live in that city and have to deal with that? Yeah. So there's this, I would say there's two elements to that. I remember in 2016, after the Ferguson incident, I was on the subway and you could feel a palpable tension between races, between white people and black people, like, like a fight could break out at any moment because there had been such a frothing of racial tension and hatred by the media. And so it, it was like that again over this summer and really for the last six months, except that things broke out and we've had a massive increase in crime. I would say for my neighborhood, I would guess, and I'm in the financial district, I would guess there's a 400% increase of crime. And I have an app called the Citizen App, and it tells you when something's happening. And we get, uh, I get at least least every day I get uh, uh, some violent act, some kind of uh, Sunday morning, 7 a.m. right here at in, in Wall Street. Someone held up at gunpoint on a Sunday morning, 7 a.m. It had we had never had that kind of outbreak of crime ever before that, as I've been down here the last few years. So there is a massive shift that's happened. And a lot of people that don't know this, but I don't know if it's specifically the governor's office, but they're telling the police not to charge people with crimes and let people off because they don't want to show on the records how bad it's getting. So, for instance, a lawyer that's a couple of doors down from me, he got punched in the face and on the train and they found the cops. They grabbed the guy. It was a young black guy that was mad. It was a white lawyer and they were having a conflict. And the cops said, we can't charge him with assault. We have to charge him with nuisance because we're not allowed to charge people the full rate. The orders from the top down are saying there's we're supposed to make it look like crime is not happening. So the stats oh we God. have right now is there's a 25% increase in oh there's a quarter century murder high right now in New York City. And that doesn't include all of the other non-murder crimes that actually aren't being reported in the city right now. So it is significantly different. I think somebody said 85% less tourists, which debilitates uh, the local economy. And how do we pay taxes? The $3.6 billion overhead we have for homeless. Uh, homelessness is crazy. I've seen more horrific acts by regular homeless people that should be taken care of. Or it's It really does feel like there's been a significant change over the last six months. And I'm, I'm praying that New Yorkers will wake up and say, we need God and we need to change the politics of this, this city. I hope so, too. You know, it seems like there's a shift taking place in California. I don't know if it's a, enough of a shift to turn California red, but I think people in California, I know gun sales in California have gone through the roof. Gun, new gun ownership's gone through the roof in California. People all over the place are really fearful of, uh, of what they're seeing. You know, I there was a gentleman, uh, I think his name is Andrew or Philip Andrews, that was socked in the mouth in San Francisco by a militant black guy that was all about Black Lives Matter. And uh, Philip is a black guy. And he knocked two of his front teeth out. And mm -hmm. it was a free speech rally that they were holding in San Francisco that the city had given them permits for. And yet here comes these BLM uh, agitating criminals and literally violently assaults Philip and knocks two of his front teeth out. Where does this end, do you think? What's going to bring an end to this? 
Yeah, I'm. I don't. I, I historically, uh, and we've talked about this a little bit uh, last a couple of weeks ago. But we have we don't have very many endings. It doesn't like it usually gets worse before it gets better. And I we believe that President Trump's going to be elected in uh, in a couple of weeks here. And then what's going to happen in New York City? I mean, we've already had five hundred thousand people leave New York City because of the riots. I'm not sure what will happen wow. on the next set of rioting that people are have been again frothed into this rage to believe that, you know, if they're a white person and if they're a leader, then they're against you. But and this is goes back to the critical race theory. The, the concept of critical race theory is if you're white, you're empowered and you are oppressing a black person. You are literally doing it right now. Like you're at home, you're sipping your soda, you're watching the David Harris Jr. show. You are currently oppressing a black person. You're like, how how is that possible? That's actually the theory. And if you believe that theory and you're a young black person, you're like, I must tear down this system. I have no other option. Wow. And it's really self-destructive. People don't understand that when a society starts to break down, it is the weak and the vulnerable that get destroyed first. It's not the people that are in power. They don't get destroyed. Those The power generally shifts hands from the number one to the number two powerful, but it's the weak and the vulnerable and the mo single moms and the old ladies and the children that get hurt and for a sense of justice that has no really logical coherence or evidentiary basis, the Ferguson effect, that study shows that when there are riots against police, that crime rates go up and it hurts the black yeah. communities. And that's what I actually had been saying the really the last six months I had been saying, if you church people that are related to my church are out there that are for this movement, you you will destroy the communities in the Bronx and in Brooklyn and in Queens, and the murder rates will go up and crime will skyrocket. skyrocket. And people said of me and my family, because I was making those statements, you're a racist, your children are racist, your four-year-old daughter is a racist because she didn't say hi to me. Then all of your position proves your racism. And I'm like pulling my hair out because I know the destruction that was coming and did come and I think will continue uh, under the current leadership model that we have. Well, you are one of the pastors out there that is being bold enough to, to have your doors open and to talk about the Black Lives Matter organization. What do you break, break down this, this organization for us? Yeah, I mean, so it's it, so it's what we call a, a Marxist system, and uh, and the Marxism is is really the most recent large scale ideological political movement that destabilized a, a historical setting a, a polity of people and marxism sets the haves against the have-nots basically so if you don't have and someone else they're your enemy we call it you know a dialectic so there's two basic sides that are embattled against each other and this has been really the history of nations to set up power plays against different people groups in order for there to be a switch of power and it's it's marxist because it is the the poor worker against the rich person empowered it's very shallow in analysis it has these basic presuppositions like we said earlier if you're white you're in power if you're black you're not and it and and it stemmed from legal critical theory which is a belief that the legal system itself has systemic racism a specter a ghost of racism living inside of it and i was preaching about this a couple of weeks ago david and like gun laws for instance 
holding guns or or storing guns or traveling guns with guns, there are approximately 20,000 laws in the United States just about that issue alone. And so when you when you're so shallow and you say the entire system is racist, then you're like, okay, which one of those gun ownership laws is racist? Which one of those laws hates black people or uh, more specifically has a disparate impact against a black person? You're like, well, no, not those ones. Okay, well, then show me what there are, because there are Millions there, and there are so many laws. They don't know how many it's how many laws exist in the United States with our state laws and federal codified on laws on top. And so this concept that there were Jim Crow laws that were really bad and it's affected every other law in our universe as American citizens is according to this style that the devil we see him work in this way in Genesis. And in Genesis, he takes a prohibition. He says, God says, you're not allowed to eat of the tree. And he turns it into a universal. He says to Eve, Mm. didn't God say you're not allowed to eat from any tree or touch any fruit? And she's like, wow, I mean, that's crazy. And it changes her perspective on the entire world. And that's the same kind of method that's used when you're trying to create political enemies. And the church has accepted it and they're championing it and they're parroting it and they're shallow in analysis and they're falling into the trap that Paul warns in Galatians, oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? I love your perspective because you can come from that biblical perspective, but you are a lawyer as well. You've got the legal understanding of what's taking place and and a perspective on that as well. It's sad to me that so many pastors have chosen to, under this pandemic, keep their doors shut. Mm -hmm. And then you've got other pastors that have welcomed and championed this whole BLM movement. It seems like there's a separating taking place in the church, in the body of Christ, of pastors that are willing to stand up and talk about issues that I believe are on God's heart and those that don't have the courage to keep their doors open and service and serve their community or are just wanting to kowtow to this BLM movement and say, oh, you know, poor black folks. Yes, you've been oppressed and we're going to try to champion you more, which is just pandering in my book. And it's disgusting in my book. But it seems like there's a separation taking place. Yeah, I would I would say, David, that that part of it is the popular church is getting shaken and we're seeing we're seeing the problems there. You know, in the New Testament, you have a number of characters that that accept wholeheartedly what we would call demonic doctrine or just for the sake of your viewers, let's just say really bad ideas that destroy the church, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, So they accept these ideas and then they turn away from. The truth of the gospel, which is sometimes painful, which is sometimes hard to deal with, which for much of the time is hard to swallow. There's a guy named Demas, and he's referenced in the scripture. He's a guy that's following Paul, and he's in, you hear about him in Philemon, you hear about him in Colossians, and he's with Paul, and he's with Luke, the writers of the scriptures, these powerhouses. And in 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul says, Demas, this guy has bailed out on me. This guy decided that he loves the world more than he loves working this work. And Demas's name means popular. And there's something about those that are desperate for popularity as opposed to desperate for the truth that are being shifted right now. And that popularity is attached to what Paul says. They fell in love with the world as opposed to being committed to truth. And we know, you know, that Jesus says, if you obey my commandments, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, it definitely, uh, you know, it seems like that. I've seen from some pretty prominent pastors that are choosing to go this BLM route, which basically just says that we're all victims. It's basically, in my book, 
It says all black folks are victims. All you black people, all you poor black people, you're victims and we need to help you. And it also strips away a person, a believer's identity in Christ, because now we're being looked at by the color of our skin, not the content of our character, like Dr. Martin Luther King hoped that all people would would uh, look at each other uh, in that regard. Now we're not even looked at as the as, at the content of our character or as the uh, as the individual we are as a believer. Now we're being looked at by our skin color. I've got another another question to ask you specifically about about this upcoming election and what you see taking place if we were to have a Joe Biden presidency. Uh, but really quick, a, a quick word from my sponsor, friends. If you guys love the David J. Harris Jr. Show, then treat yourself by going to mypillow.com and get something from Mike Lindell. I love Mike. He is my number one sponsor for my show. He loves my show. He says you need to continue to get the truth out there, and he wants to help me every step of the way. So use the code David at MyPillow.com. My favorite are his towels and his mattress topper. If you use the code David and get his mattress topper, you'll get two free pillows as well. Got to get those two free pillows out. So you'll get two free my pillows and uh, the mattress topper. It's like having a brand new mattress. You sleep like a baby. You wake up refreshed and feeling amazing. So go to MyPillow.com and use the code David. All right, David Englehart. What would you, what do you think would take place in our country if we were to have a Joe Biden presidency? Well, I would say the first thing is that uh, conservatives tend to be for law and order. So I don't think we w- I, I don't believe we would have the same kind of rioting and insanity and chaos that we would have underneath that. That Let me say that I believe we will have when President Trump gets reelected. I yeah. think um, most conservatives as conservatives, they believe in conserving the law, conserving society. It doesn't mean that there's not places to edit, but it means there's a there's a fundamental belief that it's good and we like it and we want to keep it. I, I think the, for me, the main issue with the Joe Biden presidency is how rabidly uh, in love with death their culture is. And what do I mean by that? I mean, there's a pro-abortion culture that's happy to have uh, no restrictions on abortions up till birth. And have, as I'm sure you've spoken about, some of the governors saying even after birth. And it's it's to me, it's incredible. And there's a hierarchy of moral order that we as Christians believe in, and we get that moral order from the scripture. And the shedding of innocent blood is on the top of that hierarchy of moral order. What is one of the many ways we know that? Because it was the innocent blood of Christ that gives us the opportunity for us to be completely restored and regenerated, you know, Galatians, that we're now one in Christ. We're not black and white. We're not slave and free. We're now unified. So I think for me, the court packing is, you know, a really a bad idea. It's it's unprecedented in a way. And yes, the Constitution doesn't say there only has to be nine uh, justices, but they will pack the court immediately. And what's the primary issue in my perspective? The primary issue is abortion. The secondary issue is probably Obamacare, which has been detrimental to people's health and obviously finances and and pushes on private institutions, government morality, because every law has a moral basis, but a specific morality that is opposed fundamentally to life. And if we as uh, not just Christians, but conservatives can't stand for innocent life, I don't know exactly what we're standing for. You know, I was in a conversation. I had a, a, a meeting. I was at an event last night. I had a conversation with a pastor here in my area, and he said that he had posted a pro-life, a pro-life post on a uh, a page that is a it's all it's a it's mostly pastors and believers, but it's like Christian page, and he posted a pro-life meme or some kind of a pro-life statement, 
And one of the other pastors asked him to remove it because he said it was political. He said that there are a lot of pastors that shy away from the topic and discussion of abortion because they believe it's political. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I think Carl Lentz said on on Joy on Joy with Joy Bear or Oprah or something. They said his abortion is said, and he just did his best to dodge the question and just didn't say yes, it is. He said, well, it's a personal kind of conversation we have on the side. Like, is destruct? It's the destruction of a life a sin? Yes, like the unjustified destruction of life is sin. There's no, why do you have to dodge that question? Why? Because your desperation is to be popular and not to tell the truth. How did it become political for a pastor not to speak on pro-life and no to abortion? How did that become political? Yeah, yeah. Well, and my, my, I think I would respond to that question by saying, what are we not allowed to be political? Do you hate Martin Luther King Jr.? Is he a bad guy because he was political? Like his whole life was being a political pastor. That's what made him great. That's what made him someone that we allowed his ideas as a pastor in the political sphere. And this idea that pastors aren't allowed to talk about politics, I think is a diabolical idea to, to silence the moral speakers and to say, well, we're not allowed to talk about it. But, you know, I was uh, there's a there's another pastor. I won't name him, but he liked a Charlie Kirk tweet and he allegedly lost at least 10,000 members of his church. And I just thought, how insane is this? That this guy that this guy's members of his church have no idea where he stands on politics so much so not that he would post, not that he would state I love Trump, but he would just like a Charlie Kirk tweet and people would leave and mass his organization. And that's because we've thought it was cool to tell people about our favorite football teams, but but somehow, you know, dirty to talk about our politics. I think I, I think it was Aristotle that said. Politics is sociability, which is the social community of us, plus law, plus morality. Every law has a moral basis. People that say you can't bring morality on law are are frankly ignorant because every single law is morally justified. Why don't I drive a thousand miles an hour on the freeway? Because I can't. I'm not. It's not good to kill someone, right? And it's right. High, more likely I'll kill someone. That's a moral justification. And so, why do para- pastors believe? that we can't talk about politics. I think Leslie Newbegin would say, uh, who's a, 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 a Christian thinker, he would say, because Christianity itself has been moved from the political sphere and, and it's, it's considered fiction when in fact Jesus Christ was a public figure, his life was public, and what he did revolutionized the world, literally. And so to say you yeah. can't talk about that in the public is irrational. But again, I think it has a darker uh, uh, purpose behind it. Well, I really think that because of because of the reaction to COVID-19, because of the lockdowns, because of the tyrannical orders that so many Democrat, mostly Democrat, there's been some rhinos as well that have pushed these these lockdowns on churches. I know our friend Pastor Rob McCoy in Thousand Oaks, uh, he's been threatened by the health department. City has threatened him uh, with fines. They've, they've given him fines. So many mm-hmm. pastors are... Uh, they're they're not bowing to these orders, but yet so many are. But mm-hmm. I think in the middle of this, believers, Americans that maybe used to have their faith on a bookshelf, they pull it off on Sundays, go to church, you know, and then they put it back on the bookshelf and they, they live their life. I really feel in my heart that believers are coming back to that faith in God, that childlike faith in God that needs that daily reminder, that needs that daily refresher, just like a child is going to their mother or father daily for food or for this or for that or for everything. 
I think that there's an awakening in the hearts and minds and spirits of Americans that have been asleep for a long time to realize the true need that we all have for our creator, for Papa God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And we know historically that the more persecution comes upon the church, the more it wakes up and says, you know, this is what this is what I'm made for. I'm not made for the lukewarm in the middle kind of passive life, but this is really made for the days when it's dark and the church, you know, in the first couple of centuries exploded in part due to persecution. So, and that's the sad part of it for pastors right now is, you know, the churches that I know that are opening and, and fighting to stay open are, are growing and everything and, and people are encouraged and feeling liberated. And the guys that are not, I just think they're, I think they're missing a great opportunity to stand for faith. And there was a time where we didn't know. And I think it was great. We closed for a while. A lot of people closed for a while, but then you had to wake up and say, no, this is like, this is, a, this is like a, a flu. This is not the flu, but this is like a flu. We don't, we don't shut down our churches and our, somebody told me the, the Spanish, uh, I think it was the black plague. I think they closed down churches for a couple of weeks or something like that. Like we don't, we, we don't do it. If you're sick and you want to stay home, great, but you can't force us to shut down our community. Uh, I, I think we, we were talking about this, but there was um, some old guys, uh, there was this old person protest, right? And they were saying, I'd rather die alone than die of COVID. I'd, excuse me. I, yeah. I'd rather die of COVID than die alone by myself alone and and yeah. the, the church is supposed to be about encouraging it's supposed to be about community it's the ecclesia the called out ones that are together as a body not some kind of singular sit at home and watch joel osteen kind of party it's like a community that's strengthening and caring for each other and uh, there for each other and that's what the church is becoming again i believe under this these draconian kind of rules they're it's actually causing them to arise and strengthen so final question and then final thoughts from you. What do you think that we will see underneath the next four years of President Donald J. Trump? I think a lot, a, a few things, but I think we'll see a marching forth of liberty and and protections to the church. And uh, th there's there's one guaranteed way, well, not guaranteed, but the, the strongest way to base your your predictions is upon past behaviors, right? And we've mm -hmm. seen President Trump do amazing things for the black community, unprecedented. We've seen him yeah. do amazing things for the church. We've seen him the first president. Uh, uh, ever to stand at a pro-life rally. I mean, I remember being a little boy, my parents taking me as a seven-year-old boy to pro-life rallies. And it's incredible that the president would stand behind this because this is the greatest moral issue of our day in my perspective. Yeah. And yeah. so I think we'll have more, I think we'll have that marching forward, Christian liberty, which doesn't which doesn't make me coerce you into believing, but it allows me to express my faith. Uh, yeah. I think the economy will will bounce back in an incredible way. And I think the people will have an opportunity to recapture what was lost over the last nine months. I don't see that happening under a Biden administration. I don't see people having the opportunity to recapture the lost economic time. And so that's what I would see is happening. And that's why, you know, I'm I'm using my platform to say there are certain things that we as believe must stand for. And right now, President Trump, Trump is, is, is um, standing for those things and he's championing, championing those things. And so if it's taken people, I didn't vote for President Trump in 2016 because I was like, he's crass and crude and I'm, I'm trying to be a smart guy and figure the whole world out. And in hindsight, I'm like, gosh, he's done every, he's done all of these things that I never would have guessed. And they've been amazing for people of faith. And so I think it's a no brainer at this point. It's a no-brainer for me, and uh, absolutely. Obviously, I'm championing and and trying to wake up as many people as I can. But 
it's a pleasure and an honor to know you and to know your heart and to know what you're standing for, who you're standing up for, and that you're not cowering down to any of these ideologies that are truly trying to destroy our country. Uh, what are your final thoughts? What's What's God saying to you? What do you feel like he should be saying to all our, our viewers and listeners right now? Yeah, I think my final thoughts are, are uh, truth is the basis for 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 this whole this whole thing. If we're engaging in in, in faith or politics, culture, we have to be standing on truth. And so my final thoughts are, are to to make sure you're filling yourself from the right well or else your analysis of the world, even if you're a believer, even if you're conservative, will not be a, you're, like when, when you have facts and you place a rule set upon them, you have then the conclusion of what you do. But if you don't have the facts right, if you don't have truth downright, um, then when you apply your your moral analysis, you'll have chaos. And so I'm going to do just do a David Harris Jr. plug. I think people should listen to you every day and, and people like you and literally steep themselves in truth about the world. World. So then when they approach it, they can approach it rightly. And is that what the Lord's saying to me? I don't know. That's what he's saying. <laughs> I just, I just think we need more guys like you championing the church, uh, the truth. And uh, it's an honor to know you, honor to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, David. The honor is definitely mine. I appreciate you. Love your heart. Uh, love getting to know you. And I'm so thankful. We've got strong, courageous individuals like you, pastors that are standing up for truth and, uh, and that, are, that are on the right side of history and aren't afraid. So David, David at King's Church, and how can people find you to follow you or to support you or to come to your church? What's your website? Uh, what are your handles? Yep. KCNYC.org uh, as King's Church, New York City. That's our website. And then Englehart underscore ESQ is my Instagram. That's usually where I post my analysis of the world. And um, and then we have, you know, podcasts through our church and those kind of things where we're talking about issues of the day and, and bringing um, a Christian perspective to all of the stuff that's going on right now. Amazing. KCNYC.com. Score Esquire on Instagram. My brother, God bless you. Thank you so much for joining my, my on my show. And I think I'll be seeing you in December. Yes, sir. All right. Have a good evening. Friends, please share the mess out of this. Americans, especially your Christian friends, your Christian family, share this episode with them. They need to hear what Pastor David Englehart had to share. We need truth. And that's the only way we're going to rightly be able to divide exactly the mess and all the minutiae that is nonstop thrown our way by all these mainstream media outlets, these hack news organizations that don't care about the truth. They just care about their narrative. But that narrative will tear us apart if we uh, if we let it. So God bless you today. Please share it. Go to MyPillow.com. Use the code David. You'll enjoy the mattress topper or the sheets or the towels. I have them all. I love them all. Use the code David at MyPillow.com. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. My name is David J. Harris, Jr. Join me and millions of Americans around the country as we embrace liberty and freedom. This is the David J. Harris, Jr. Show.